From Sakura season in Japan to the longer evenings across Europe, it's clear that spring has arrived. Here at Monocle, we're glad that sunnier times are en route, and one man already reaching for his sunglasses is Sebastian Bazin, CEO of hospitality giant Accor. As this series of the Chiefs has demonstrated, despite the past year, the travel and hospitality industry is a resilient one, and as many European nations pass their one-year anniversaries of national lockdowns, Bazin believes we are weeks, not months, away from the end. So what's behind the optimism and what lessons is he taking with him as a better future unfolds? Leading Accor since 2013, Bazin's tenure has seen rapid expansion but today boasts a portfolio of over 5,000 properties worldwide and some 300,000 employees. Joining me today from his office in Paris, we discuss opportunity in times of crisis, why corporate social responsibility is no gimmick, and the true value of service. I'm Tyler Brule here in Zurich, and this is The Chiefs on Monocle 24. Sebastian, there's many topics that I want to cover over the next 27 minutes or so with you, but maybe we need a bit of a progress report. Where are we? We're speaking on a day which is one year on from when many countries in the in this heart of Europe, of course, started to announce lockdown measures. So how do things look at the end of, of Q1 2021 to you? Much better than exactly the same time last year. We have 85% of the 5,200 hotels of Aqua being open. Very eclectic in terms of occupancy, actually not bad in China, back to 50-60% occupancy level with 100% Chinese because Frontier has been closed. It's bouncing back nicely in the Middle East, certainly in Doha, in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. It is a disaster in South America. It is still very, very difficult in Northern Europe, being UK, Germany, Scandinavia and France. Certainly for me now, the point to be very vocal for the team, for the owners, it's only a matter of weeks uh, to be patient again. We have blue sky and I've been advocating a fabulous late spring and a fabulous summer because vaccine has been proven to be very efficient. So we just have to be patient to make sure that the fragilized population will be vaccine. And then we're going to have a very robust days in front of us. So probably another six weeks, two months and then the rebound is going to be stronger than anybody expect. I want to come back to maybe advocacy and certainly probably the conversations that you and the group have been having, of course, with governments and, and certainly legislators around the world. One place that you just left out, though, in your little assessment was was North America. You said South America, not great. But if we look at North America, where we've been seeing, you know, of course, photos and reports of spring break in Florida, actually looks almost like normal. Uh, Of course, we have Texas uh, being very outspoken that they just want to move forward. The governor there is saying that they're also not noticing that an open society is having any dramatic effects. So I'm curious, how is North America faring when we certainly see some states and provinces behaving a little bit different than than certainly where we're standing or sitting in Europe at the moment? I usually say it, but I'm actually confirming it. Never, ever bet against America. It's, it's one of the most resilient, fabulous market and the capacity to rebound. So the only thing you have to be very careful about America is certainly booming in Miami, actually resisting uh, to the 30, 40% occupancy in secondary tertiary cities, but still very difficult in Los Angeles, in New York, in Chicago. All those capital cities, depending on inter- international travelers who don't exist, 
we're going to be suffering a bit more, which is going to be the same for Paris for that matter. So let's make a big differentiation between second tertiary cities versus large cities in America, because it is not the same phenomena as we speak. But it's going to bounce back probably also quicker than Europe and likely to be probably in May when Europe is going to be in June. So probably a month, six weeks ahead of us. Why do you have your sunglasses on uh, right now? Why are you feeling that things are going to be so sunny? I I think people are sort of sitting here wondering what type of tea leaves you're reading. Obviously, you can look at forward bookings or all of the classic things that that we know about. But what's giving you this real sense of optimism, Sebastian? The first is we just have enough of being confined. We want to have a life back. We want to be out, we want, we want to be drinking, we want to be on a bar, we want to have fun, we want to meet other people. Enough of being confined in one similar place on Zoom, we're just sick of it. And two, we have the means to do it. France alone, you have 140 billion euros of savings on French households. And you probably have the same in many countries in Europe and elsewhere. So Europe only is probably 600 billion of euros saved for the last 12 months ready to be reinjected into the economy. And you know what people are going to do first? They're going to go back to restaurants and they're going to go back on staycation for four days. And you know why it's going to be four days staycation as opposed to two days? It's because of exactly what we do today. Zoom WebEx permits you to work from now any place on this planet and people will go for large weekend in Biarritz or large weekend in Milan and they will be working on Friday, working on Monday, but they'll spend four days over there, which is great for my business and my industry. Well, let's come back to talking about human desires and, of course, this bounce back we're going to see. Before that, though, what does that mean from a, a marketing perspective right now? Because you recently we've seen Jetstar in Australia talking about you know 90% domestic travel in terms of really a recovery number, which is which is pretty remarkable. So, is that first stage of maybe a bounce back is still going to be more domestic? So maybe if you know traditionally maybe you're your family or your couple in Paris, they might have flown off to to Sicily or somewhere else. Do you think this is going to be more of a Corsica story? People, as you said, maybe heading to the Atlantic coast, and then there'll be another phase where people are going to venture a little bit further beyond. How do you see that? And what does it mean from a marketing point of view? Oh, that's uh, this of no question. You're going to see first the rebound's going to be in the hands of the domestic population. Domestic for me being, by the way, intra-regional, so people from Amsterdam going to Paris, or people from Paris going to Greece, that is very much short-haul, narrow-body airliners, and they will be made available, and that will be the case. You know, I was yesterday with big guys on the entertainment industry, and they've been launching ticketing for all the festivals in the UK post the 27th of May, fully, fully booked in less than six hours, probably primarily with 90% breaths. So what I'm saying now is, yeah, anything which is cross-continent going from here to Bali or the Americans going to Milan, question mark, because those international flights may be not as available as they were before and probably six months or 12 months lag effect. But anything which is within four hours reach or even a car ride, train ride, will be there for sure. On the marketing side, or maybe it's it's a little bit advocacy, it's a bit lobbying. How, how much work has to be done by your comms team, by you personally talking to other CEOs? Because I think certainly one of the challenges is, you know, it's great that you say, yeah, you talk to the big guys in entertainment and, and uh, that they're selling out for festivals in six hours. When you talk to a lot of corporates, though, you hear a lot of companies saying, oh, you know what, we're not letting our staff fly this year. We haven't budgeted for it. We really want to play it safe in 2021. And we've really, we've written this year off as well. It's it's remarkable. How I was talking to some big media companies the other day and they said, yeah, our, our people can't come to that conference in October because we're still concerned about about the virus. 
There is very different levels on what you are talking about. Number one, are we going to be permitting somebody from our core office to go to an ACO office in Singapore from Paris on a long haul flight only to meet internal people? Answer is no. For a while, I think me and many CEOs would probably ask a guy to stay at his desk and to do it by Zoom. Anything, however, by the same token, I'll be the first one and I can give you a hundred different uh, CEOs of medium large size corporations. And you know what we need the most now? Bonding, paddling together, face-to-face -face meeting. You don't know how much I need urgently to be back in probably 30 different countries, meeting in each country between 30 to 50 people because they need to see me as much as I need to see them. We haven't seen each other for so long. It is indispensable to run our business. So you may not have the 2,000, 3,000 pharmaceutical congress in one single location, but you're gonna see many different corporations gathering together local teams in which you're gonna be flying to. So let's not undercut too much that necessity of regrouping. Listen, I agree with you, but also we, we know that maybe one of the problems that has arisen through all of this is this sense of just risk aversion. Uh, you know, we've been through a year of, you know, listen, I mean, I, I know and my colleagues and, and the people I deal with, I cannot see another email where someone says, stay safe. I don't know what that means. I somewhat get it. But at the same time, we know that the world is full of risk. And yet now... It feels that so many companies that there's a permission, whether it's in the CFO's office because he can save a little bit of money, in the HR department because they don't want a lawsuit. So you can say rubbish, I can say rubbish, but I'm wondering, are there going to be some big corporates that you're really going to have to force, or are they just going to be looking at the market and saying, uh-oh, our, listen, our competitors are out on the road uh, and we've lost a deal because they managed to make their way to Singapore, they did the deal and we missed it, and hey, we need to get people back on planes, trains, or out on the road again. You get any two large, whether it's Microsoft and Apple, where I need to sign a contract or Salesforce with one of them, I guarantee you, if I have one of those three in front of me in my office for three days, it's chances of clinching a deal with me is going to be multiplied by three compared to the two other guys sitting on the desk at, in Seattle or San Francisco. So the minute they lose the contract because they haven't flown somebody over, it's going to take them less than 10 days to reconsider and ask the guy, why didn't he fly? So yes, it is. We have to be careful on safety, on health, on measures. But all of that won't be disappearing. We'll be the first one in the hospitality sector to preserve all those social behaviors. He's not going to be wearing a mask. The vaccine will have been efficient by that time. But that risk adverse will be baffled away by the necessity to reconquest, reconquer business, and to leave again. I think we all today in this mix of this pandemic, we're still in it, unfortunately. But within a year from today, we would not have forgotten about it. We would have moved on, and thankfully so, as we did after any terrorist attack. I mean, I had the same discussion when I was in Manhattan, when the two towers fall down. I had the same discussion in Paris in 2015 when we had a terrorist attack in the bars in the bars in Paris. It took us six months to nine months to recover our life not to have forgotten, but to live again. So don't, don't underestimate this notion of needed oxygen to breathe and to move. No, it's interesting. We're, we're doing this interview on the day, the 10th anniversary of, of Fukushima as well. And of course, people talked about the long road that Japan was facing in terms of a bounce back as well. And of course, we, we only have to look at, at what happened. I mean, an unprecedented boom again that happened very, very shortly after Fukushima. There was people that, that were still very concerned. Was it safe, etc.? But at the same time, as you absolutely said, these things do bounce back and recover. It's very interesting for me because you have 
the two faces of the same coin. The coin being the efficiency, the enormous efficiency of the digital technology and the Zoom and the WebEx would permit you not to fly and not to move. So it is a detriment for me because of course I stand to lose whether it's five, six, seven, 10% of international business travelers, maybe forever, because they will exactly what you said, stay at their desk. However, the same efficiency and the same metal has another face of it. And the other face is terribly interesting is the mere fact that you can be working efficiently from anywhere permits you uh, to basically say and shout to your employers that you do not want to go back five days a week to your uh, offices because you, you know you've been wasting 90 minutes of energy every day just to commute. And you know what? Employers have been listening to that demand. They're going to have to respond favorably in order for them to retain those talents. And funny enough, which is the most interesting part of it, all those people who do not want to go back more than two or three days to their respective offices do not want to stay at home either. Why? Because they're sick of it, because they don't meet anybody, because it's too confined, because the Wi-Fi doesn't work properly, and because they don't have access to meeting somebody, whether they're peers or a client. So here, all of a sudden, the hospitality sector, companies like us, with such an immense 5,200 hotel network in 110 countries, all of a sudden, we can finally make good use of unutilized spacers in the lobby, the auditorium, the bars, and the restaurants of Accor, and the access to meeting rooms, and make that available to a population which I was caretaking for for so long and never able to actually clinch it, is the local community. Think about it. My hotels have been in the CBDs of so many capital cities on this planet. All the guys living next door, they know of my brand, they know of my physical location, but they never entered because they had no need for a shower or for a bed. And all of a sudden, I can cater for hundreds of millions of employees leaving 20 minutes away by bike, walking to my hotel and make use of my premises on their subscription basis. Those tools permit those people to work from a different location in my hotels and having exactly what they've been looking for, ability to dine, to meet, and to basically work with colleagues. And that is far better than what I stand to lose, which is why I don't like this crisis. But this crisis forced us to actually reflect, to be better, and to pivot. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably wondering and thinking about this massive portfolio that you have, so many brands under the Accor umbrella. What are going to be those startup labs? What will be the brands that, that you're using? Obviously, much of this is already in play. What are going to be the engines, Sebastian, where people are going to be able to? Of course, you should, I mean, yes, many hotels have life, and some are good at, at welcoming their local community in and have, yeah, they're part of the business fabric or social fabric of the city. Who, who's going to be powering ahead? Maybe what you know, divisional presidents are you tasking with to say, rethink how we interact with the city of Houston or with Hong Kong? The easiest is to start with those brands who actually already pulled what I was looking for, that interaction intertwined between the local community and the travelers. Those brands happen to be defined as lifestyle, which is the Hoxton, the Mama Shelter, the 21C, the Delano, the SLA, the Mondrian of the world that we've been gathering together under one common umbrella. Why? It's because those brands have one attribute which has been tough to get. Two-thirds of the turnover, the sales, the activities in that location happens to be from bars, restaurants, tea, coffee, meeting rooms for the locals. Only one-third comes from a traveler. 
And because that destination is known because of the volume, the design, the tattoos, you name it, the service, the personalization, the uniqueness of the experience, all of a sudden people will go back to those facilities and work very easily because they actually loved it as a consumer before even working there. So we're going to be transforming their lives. I mean, everybody who's been today on the road working from a computer for the last 10 years, they've been only permitted to, to Starbucks because Starbucks was free and they could actually sit there for a couple hours. So lifestyle would permit me to invade that uh, thematic much quicker. Uh, and then there's no reason why a Novotel, an Ibis, a Pullman, a Swiss Tobacco could not also basically give you the reason, the ingredient to make you safe and happy to stay for a couple hours. And people could go for two hours, they could go for three days a week. And the beauty of it is you're not attached to a particular destination. Within the network, you can be in Milan on Tuesday, you can be in Venice on Thursday, you can be in Warsaw uh, on the following Monday, and then in London under the same subscription model. And all of that can be driven by a loyalty program in which whatever time you spend, you're gonna have ability to earn points and then to spend the points on going to Paris, Paris Saint-Germain football game, going to a um, concert. So what I was trying to get is the frequency of the usage of what is my interaction with the guest. And that guest is no longer someone using my shower and my bed. That guest is that person who dares spending a couple hours or three days with me. And I'll navigate through that relationship with him through his life. And hopefully he cater for 90% of what he needs. I'm interested if we maybe just project, let's get to end of summer. We've Everyone's feeling good. Everyone's tanned. They've had all of the Negronis uh, and all the Aperol spritzes they want. And now we look at that sort of that critical period and real, of course, in a year when it's going to be about re-engagement. When you look at, at the portfolio and travel habits in September, when everyone is really back out on the road for business, what will it look like? Are we? Is it going to be more grand tours? Are we going to be seeing people out on the road longer, but trying to be more efficient? Are we still going to be doing maybe not as much point to point, but point to point will still be important? What is what does the world look like to you? You know, the lessons I'm getting from the crisis is um, the demand is changing and it's cross generation. Is that willingness to be closer to nature, to be very precautious on how to preserve the planet, what is the carbon emission, how much energy is being consumed, how much is local procurement, and you're helping training local community. All those markers, which we've been securing for the last 25 years, those will be the criteria of choice in between brands starting yesterday. I cannot tell you, and it's true for my clients, whether they are 22 years old or seven years old, but it's even more true for my employees in terms of them joining our core or staying with our core. The main thing in which we have to be very good at and not gimmicky about is corporate social responsibility. What is it that you do for others? And that's vast because I guess I told you it's diversity, it's inclusion, it's handicap, it's gender, it's salary pay, equality, uh, it's environmental friendly. That is something that I guess uh, we need to be more vocal about it, but we have to have a methodology. We need to get proofs of what we've been doing because people today have been reflecting on their own life for the last 12 months, and they're very much engaged in this. And it's fun to do, and ACO has been there for 25 years. So that's my answer to you. It has nothing to do with the pricing or even the design of a room, is what is the message that you're transmitting to your clients, employees, and local community? 
you mentioned what would be, and I'm saying it somewhat cynically, but of course, all of all of the fashionable topics that every CEO, every company wants to talk about right now. It's you know, diversity, it's inclusion, uh, it's the environment, etc. These are also political topics, as we know. Uh, there is general agreement that we should be going in that direction, but also we've, we've seen you know companies getting behind, of course, a number of different themes that occasionally blow up. They've got the wrong spokesperson, etc. How political do you need to be as a company to be seen to be on trend, that the world feels like it's moving this direction? Or also, is there a case, say, look at, we have a vast portfolio of properties in other parts of the world where people do not agree with these values. I mean, you talk about sub-Saharan Africa, all kinds of places where people maybe don't agree with these currents. So I'm wondering, how much do you have to navigate as a CEO these days? Because everything seems like a minefield. Tyler, the answer is zero. I don't need any political backup in me advocating what we're doing for CSR. And I'll tell you why. You need to be precise. You need to define what you're doing in front of your investor base because the black rock of the world in a listed company will probably make it also a criteria for them to invest. So just talk about it, but don't, don't play to your advantage because the more you talk about it, I mean, the less true it is. The one thing which I want to tell you, which people don't understand because it is something which makes our course so different from any other players is we have 300,000 people working for our core brand today on this planet. And by the way, if people don't know about it, tourism is 10% of the world GDP and 10% of the workforce on this planet works for my industry. It's enormous. It's the second largest industry on this planet. But since we have 300,000 people, we lose every year 10% of my workforce because they go and work someplace else. That's 30,000 people. We open one new hotel per day. 365 hotel. That means we have to hire 50,000 new people every year. So you add the 30,000 you lose to the 50,000 you need. Accor is probably one of the fastest company hiring 80,000 people every year. And you know what I want to get at? More than half of those 80,000 people that we hire don't have any education. And 99% of them come from the local community. ACOR is has proven in 110 countries how we care, how we show a hand, how we give better self-esteem for tens of thousands of people, which is why they leave us after five years, because they are a different person, which is okay for me. So, and ACOR is headed in all those countries by local executives. I, am, I don't want any French guys to know better to be sent to Sri Lanka or to be sent to Chile because it's typically unnecessary. So that is the best proof without talking about it on what we do every single year is to basically be the guy and the largest employer on so many cities because we need them. So, and so there's nothing political. It's a question of attitude and values. It's so fascinating that you talk about this, the power of, of what you're d- delivering and doing, which is, which is service. And of course, many industries and of course, many countries talk about being a service economy. You, Sebastian, in your company, you're doing it, you're living it. As you said, you're at the heart of these, these communities. Are you surprised that there's not more of a focus as a result? As you said, this, we're talking about 10% of, of global, global GDP, that we don't see more education after that five years, after that six years, I mean, not everyone is going to go to EHL in Lausanne. So where is the equivalent school in, in Uruguay? Where is the equivalent school 
even in Canada, you might argue as well, because there are people who love you know being in the service business. Are we doing enough, or, or is there enough of a, of a sense in industry how important service delivery is? Because I think all of us know when we're at the receiving end, it's fantastic, and when it's not great, you know, it can not just ruin your day, it can ruin your week, it can ruin your year. Do you want to see more of an appreciation for what your industry does? <laughs> Let's go sequential here. Lausanne and Paul Bocuse, Lyon, the world, they are Cornell. They are great schools. Problem that I'm facing, half of those students, even though they've been trained in the world of hospitality, do not stay in that world. They go to investment banking, to consultancy. Unfortunately for me, they don't stay within the industry. At the end, you know what? does not matter. We have, ACO has been putting together enormous amount of training schools in different uh, emerging markets, and we can fuel and educate those people. They don't have the EHL diploma, but they're still a very good person and probably as good as somebody coming from EHL. So that's okay. We, we, we are equipped, and this is what we've done for the last 50 years. So we're not depending on the, on the base, high diploma school. The, what you said at the end of your question is, for me, probably to the point, and, and I need to be very cautious here because I usually get pretty angry at it is what we need is not a better recognition, is I am fascinated and angry of the valuation, the force, the strength of all those technology companies, even more so after the last 12 months. And, and they've been fueling cash and with a lot of great technology and in fabulous margin, and they control your life and my life. And they've never really built any interaction with their guests. It's even worse. You know what? They call them users as opposed to guests. None of my people staying in my hotel, I will, I will call him a user. We are in the warm industry and every day we interact, we interface for three hours or for three days and we share sentiment and we share feelings and we understand each other and we don't speak the same language, but we want to discover each other. All those gaffes of the world, as good as they are, it's a cold industry. They've never met you. And the worst, they don't want to meet you because they do meet you. That means less a margin. So yes, I'm going to be battling even more on trying to make sure whether it's government, whether it's investor base, that we have to be better recognized because what we do is so different. It may not be the less margin, but it is so much more contributive to this planet and to the population. Sebastian, just before we go, when you look at your portfolio right now, let's say look across the next 12 months, 36 months, what's missing? Is there something yeah, at the super ultra deluxe, whatever we want to call it, luxury end uh, that is not there? Uh, do you look to Vienna and you see, look at what the Austrians are doing with overnight rail travel right now, thinking, okay, we need to to be a big player in that space potentially. What, what's missing from the Accor portfolio? And I, I don't want you to give away your, your what's on your shopping or development list, but maybe just, you know, you can pull up your trouser leg a little bit. It's one word, very difficult to design. It's called fulfillment. I am convinced that I guess many of us have realized that I guess we, won't, we don't want to be in the hands of 24 hours, seven data, Instagram, uh, Zoom. We want to regain some freedom and control of our life. So I have no question that I guess I need to be closer to those traveling probably closer to nature, well-being, wellness. It's not spa, it's not massage. It's something much deeper that we need to build in. Uh, even for me, I travel 260 days a year. Shame on me. I have been going to so many cities. I don't even stay one extra morning to understand and to visit a museum. Why? I'm there. I've flown in. 
And that need, I think, is even stronger today on how to help those people when they travel to actually spend that extra day doing nothing but being broad, large, and experiencing the local culture, the local museum, and coming back richer and sharing the experiences. That's what I, this is what I want to get at. My thanks to Sebastian Bazin, CEO of Accor, for joining us for this week's episode of The Chiefs. And tune in next week as we wrap up our series on the future of travel with a touch of Italian luxury. This episode of The Chiefs was produced and researched by Paige Reynolds and edited by Steph Chungu with the assistance of Desiree Bendley. I'm Tyler Brule. Thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.